Today's podcast is presented by Podgo. Podgo is the easiest way to monetize your podcast. Providing podcasters with a flat rate for ad space so you always know how much you get when you include an ad from Podgo. Apply today to become a member and immediately be connected with advertisers that fit your audience. That's podgo.co at p-o-d-g-o dot c-o. And be sure to add concerts that made us in the How Did You Hear About Podgo section. Is everybody in? Is everybody in? The show is about to begin. Concert lovers, welcome to another episode of Concerts That Made Us. I'm your host Brian and this week my guest is Aliza Hava. Not only is Aliza an award-winning singer-songwriter, but I learned in this episode she's also an amazing human being with a beautiful soul. From her days in university organising charity concerts with local bands, to benefit organisations such as Students for a Free Tibet, to her days working with the UN producing concerts across the globe to promote peace, it's clear to see that Lisa really is a musician who wants to make a difference through her music, and she's had quite an amazing career to date. So, without further ado, let's get on with the show. Everybody was thirsty I went looking for water On that dry desert road I found you You took me to me Your friend and her daughter The moment was pure and beautiful too We sat in a circle You offered me tea I politely said thank you No milk for me Then we played the guitar And sang so sweetly In the radiant light We were free In the radiant light Was it all just a daydream? I asked in my mind As I sat on the airplane 
leaving illusions behind me. In my hand was your number. I just couldn't believe they were all my lucky numbers. Three one eight, Lizzie, you're very welcome to the show this evening. Thank you so much for having me. It's exciting. It's great to have you. So uh, we just heard your song Radiant Light. Would you like to tell us a bit about it? Sure. So um, it's a new single that I just released a couple weeks ago. And um, it's a song about an adventure that I was on um, in the Middle East. I was actually at a music festival and um I was there by myself because a friend of mine who I was supposed to go with had gotten ill. So mm. it was either don't go or go alone. So I figured I'd just, you know, do my thing. And it was kind of a lonely experience. You know, I was new uh, to that region. I didn't really know anybody. And it's just kind of a little awkward being surrounded by people and not knowing anybody. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah, totally. So, um, I was just walking along and I was going to get some water actually. And um, <clears throat> I struck up a conversation with this person um, who was also getting water and we started talking and he invited me to come and hang out with him and his friends. And 
what ended up happening is really the story of the song and the um, the friendship that came out of that. You know, it's funny, you know, sometimes we meet someone and there's a connection and maybe there's an attraction, but it doesn't always, you know, turn into what you think it might be, you know, sometimes. Yeah. You know, especially, you know, when there's, uh, when you're just kind of like hanging out, it's not always clear, like what's, what's happening and, you know, in, in the dynamic, but what happened with this particular person, we ended up becoming really, really good friends. And over the years, um, he introduced me to people who some of them became lifelong friends and he's been a part of my life ever since then. And actually was partially, um, responsible for my husband and I getting together. So it all worked out in this magical way. And, you know, he's heard the song and I don't know, I think he's kind of flattered by it, but at the end of the day, (laughs) really good friendship that just turned into a lot of cool experiences and wonderful friends, you know, yeah. So sounds like a, a pretty brave decision to go all that way on your own, but it really paid off in the end. Yeah. You know, sometimes it's hard to follow your heart and follow your instincts. Cause there are all these voices that are saying like, Oh, that's not safe or don't do that. Or this doesn't make any sense, but there's like something else that's pulling you. That's like bigger than you in a way. And so I just need a commitment to listen yeah. to that as much as I could. It's uh, some pretty great life advice straight off the bat anyway. Um, so I know you've uh, traveled extensively with your career and you worked with the UN. How did, uh, how did that come about? Well, um, right out of college, I was working with a, a friend of mine who, um, you know, she and I were both student activists. We were both very involved and engaged in our community in upstate New York in a town called New Paltz. That's where I went to college. Nice. Yeah, and um, I was very involved with the music community, and I would put on concerts to help raise money for different causes and awareness for different issues, like um, did a benefit to raise money for the local environmental organization and to raise money for um, an organization that was very active in ending the the occupation of Tibet, uh, Students for Free Tibet, was the yeah. so yeah I was just very engaged and very um you know I had this natural inclination to like bring people together through music raise money for things that I thought were important causes and just rally people around these causes and um, my friend who I was just mentioning she ended up becoming a member of the young general assembly at the UN which is a you know it's a volunteer committee where young people's voices are activated and and um, heard by people um, in the higher higher echelons of the UN and yeah. So, uh, yeah so she actually invited me to sing at an event that she was um, hosting and while all that was happening she actually asked me if I could help to coordinate and help produce and you know, so I have, I was, I generally wear a lot of hats. So whether it's producing or performing or writing or, um, you know, promoting, um, she kind of tapped me to, to help her with that. So that's what led to me getting involved with the UN. And that was a, that was a part of my life for probably about six or seven years, actually. Oh, sounds, sounds like a great experience. And it must be so fulfilling to know that you're actually making a difference 
with your music, you know, and you're trying to uh, trying to make people's lives better. You know, I, I that's my hope and my wish. You know, I don't want to be unrealistic or lofty or think that, you know, the work that I did really made a huge difference. Sometimes I think it didn't make enough, you know, I, I don't know. I, I tend to kind of be hard on myself and think like, Oh man, if only I had been able to do this, you know, but reality is, is that even if one person's life gets touched or improved emotionally, you know, that's a big, that's a big deal because I think people struggle so much in this world yeah. and it can really be a great medicine. Yeah, yeah. It's uh it's kind of like a callback to the artists of the 60s and 70s, you know, the artists that actually wanted to make a difference with their music as opposed to today I feel personally like say 60%, 70% of artists out now only want to become famous, make money, stuff like that. So it's actually refreshing to see an artist nowadays who is actually trying to make a difference and obviously cares so much. Well, thanks. I appreciate that. And you're definitely hitting the nerve because I, I was actually really influenced by the music of the 60s and the 70s growing up in that era um, and the music and the activism. And I don't think I realized necessarily how much of an influence it was having on me until later. Um, it just all kind of was very organic. But um, I hear a lot of people say that I remind them of like, you know, artists from the 60s and the 70s who were guitar slingers and, you know, out there um, making music that, that was really speaking to the issues of the times. And I think you're absolutely right. I mean, when I first started out, I definitely, I definitely made a choice to be an artist who used my music for, for a purpose, not just to you know, make a lot of money and become famous and make my, you know, build myself up. It was a conscious decision that I made to go in that direction. And, you know, the music industry has changed so much in the last 10 years. I think that, you know, social media and things like that, it's just, it's interesting, you know, the whole way that music gets disseminated now. So, yeah, people are, people get nervous to stand up for something because you can get like, you could definitely get uh, attacked or, you know. Yeah, the whole cancel culture. Yeah. Yeah, you can uh, you can kind of understand why people would be afraid to stand up when that's the society we live in today. But hopefully it'll change. Things kind of tend to go full circle and things from the past come back. So hopefully it'll uh, change in the future. Yeah, absolutely. And I know you're from Ireland. And so I'm sure that in Ireland, there are a lot more artists that are kind of like, you know, making music that speaks to yeah. to that. I think that's part of why I actually love Irish culture. And I've been to Ireland and I, I felt very um, fascinated and just a, a, a very powerful connection. I sat in some, some sessions and um, met a lot of great musicians like John Spillane and then you know, just really epic trip. And uh, so I, I have a lot of respect for the Irish people, especially Irish musicians. Yeah, we are a great bunch, all right. And uh, we're pretty special when it comes to music. I think there is a lot of even grassroots musicians, you know, and 
I'd say a lot of the Irish songs, they tell great stories. It's either about a lost love or about fighting in a war. But there are some great Irish songs out there across all genres. So um, you mentioned you were inspired by the music of the 60s and 70s. So what would your earliest musical memory be? Well, my earliest musical memory is, God, it's probably going back to like, I don't even know, when I was three or four. <laughs> I don't know if those are the <laughs> Sesame Street. No, um, <laughs> okay, I have, a, I have a funny story. This is like the first time I ever performed on stage. So before I got into the music of the 60s and 70s, I was definitely into just like pop culture what was on the radio and you know mtv and stuff like that so um i uh i was really into bon jovi and i grew up in new Uh jersey so i was like extra into bon jovi (laughs) and um there was a song living on a prayer that uh i'm sure you've heard of it's it's a classic yeah yeah Yeah, and so yeah it was really a great song and um so it's about I was really young. I was probably seven years old and I was um, at a camp and we were putting on a performance for our whole family, all the families and all the camper parents and everything like that. And um, our counselor had asked like, what would you like to do for your performance? You know, nobody in the, nobody in the group had an idea except me. Everybody's like, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. I was like, well, I have an idea. Why don't we, why don't we sing living on a prayer? Yeah. Nice. And uh, the camp counselor thought it was a great idea. She loved the song. And all the other kids were like, okay, I don't know, whatever. (laughs) (laughs) So so she asked me if I would like lead the charge since nobody else had an idea. And since we were going to do that, she's like, what's your vision? So, I mean, I didn't really have a vision, but I, um, I basically like taught the song to the kids and then came up with this brilliant idea that i would sing the guitar solo while playing air guitar (laughs) (laughs) real 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 brilliant so uh anyway what ended up happening we we did the song my turn came out to play air guitar i came out i stepped to the front of stage i did like a full-on like rock and roll singing in the top of my lungs and i just looked out at the audience and they just all looked at me like i was batshit crazy (laughs) <laughs> I think I was having more fun than anybody else, but it was just kind of like, you know, know your audience. I definitely didn't know my yeah. audience. And, um, <laughs> and then when I cued the band, the band, you know, the six and seven year olds to come back, yeah. and they totally missed their cue and forgot the words. So it was an epic <laughs> fail. But um, I did get to uh, tell Desmond Child that story once at an ASCAP expo. Oh, and he just kind of what did he? <laughs> He's the one who wrote that song with Bon Jovi, and um, yeah, he just kind of looked at me and just looked at me. He kind of nodded, and it was one of those moments again where I was like, "Yeah, know your audience." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so, um, which uh, which concert was your first one? Your first concert experience. Um, so the first time I ever went to a show, like just with my friends and not like a little kid having my, you know, parents yeah. on my hand, um, I was, 
I was 12. I went to Lollapalooza. Right. Um, with my, my other friend, uh, Nika. And um, Pearl Jam was headlining and Red Hot Chili Peppers were headlining. Oh, man. And it was killer. I mean, it was in uh, Waterloo, New Jersey. We were, um, we were just having a grand old time. Walking around, just like having a great time and then at one point eddie vetter at this time at this time he was like still not like massively famous you know pearl jim was just yeah. coming up. so he was doing a walkthrough of the of the crowd just trying right. to blend in and catch the vibes and my friend spotted him and she went up to him and she was like i remember this like photographic memory she was like oh my god eddie i love you <laughs> It's like, oh, thank you so much. Yeah, it was like, it was really cool. And then uh, later that night, uh, Chili Peppers played and we were trying to get as close to the front as possible. But we didn't we didn't know that, that it, it was going to turn into a mosh pit. And right. uh, people were just like totally raging and just banging into each other. And I got hit really hard because I wasn't expecting oh, no. it. You know? We are just yeah. like, let's the front. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> So I was I was getting like mauled in the mosh pit, and then there's this this uh, security guard standing behind the barrier, right in front of the stage. You know, there's like that five six foot, yeah, uh, space where security stands, and so he saw me and he's like, "Do you need help?" I'm like, "Yeah." So he like reached over the barrier and li- literally lifted me up by like under my arms, like pulled me over. <laughs> And then next thing I know, I'm standing like literally like backstage right next to the stage and I'm looking up and there's Anthony Kiedis and Flea and I'm like, whoa, this is awesome. I'm oh just going to hang out here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh, that was about 30 seconds. He's like, get out of here, move along. You can't stay here. <laughs> but it was, yeah, it was really kind of cool to be backstage for a second, you know? Yeah, exactly. Especially with them two bands. Oh, yeah amazing it'd be it'd be a dream now to get backstage with that while the two of them are playing yeah. it sounds like a, a pretty great concert to have as your first concert experience really introducing you to great great music yeah i think that's really where my love of rock and roll started yeah, yeah. um if you had to pick a song then to dedicate to the memory of your first concert which would it be well um you know, Alive is a great song by Pearl Jam, and uh, he just put so much passion into it. And I think that he, um, you know, the whole band is just killer, killer musicians. So, yeah, I mean, Alive, and then, of course, you know, I think Chili Peppers Give It Away was like their number one hit at that time. So that's the yeah. one that sticks in my memory. You know, they were touring um, Blood Sugar Sex Magic. So I would say... Oh, um, cool. But alive, I think was the was the big one that that I connected to. Yeah, yeah, that uh, that'd be one of my favorite Pearl Jam songs now as well. It's just his vocals on it, and you can really tell the passion in his voice. And as you said, the whole band just come together perfectly. Yeah, on that record, just yeah, it's out of this world. Totally. So, um, your last concert you've been to. What was that? Yeah, so um, last year, 2020, in September, um, 
I was going through a, a crazy difficult time. Um, my husband and I were evacuated from the fires in the Santa oh, Cruz no. mountains. And I was, um, a couple of years before that, I got exposure to smoke from the, uh, right. from the fires in Napa. And I got very ill. I was sick for like almost six months. And I thought oh, I was no. going to, I literally thought I was dying and like none of the doctors could say what was wrong. So when this fire happened, I was freaked out because the smoke was again, just really, really bad. Yeah. And so yeah, I was having like anxiety and just freaking out. And so then we evacuated and we drove north to get out of the smoke. And then like the day that we got to a safe place, I got a phone call that my father was dying and oh, no. was in the ICU and was going to literally be like, you know, he might only have a couple days to live. So if I want to say goodbye, I should get on a plane, you know? Yeah. So that was a crazy time. So we flew, we flew to New York you know, in the middle of all of this COVID. And that was when the skies turned red in the Bay Area. I don't know if you remember. Oh, yeah, I remember it, that. It was insane. So my father did end up passing away. And it was... Uh, I'm sorry to hear that. Thank you. You know, I think a lot of people lost people who they love this last year. And, you know. Yeah. But it was, you know, it was his time, whatever. I don't know. But it was a rough, it was a rough patch. So yeah. a good friend of mine heard that I was in New York and she said, look, you know, you should come up to the ranch. We're doing a big music festival. And, you know, if you feel up to it, you know, we would love to have you do a set. But of course, no pressure. You know, she understood that I was, you know, just, just dealing with this. And yeah, my husband and I decided we were going to stay in New York an extra few weeks to like wait out the smoke just to be safe. Hmm. So, um, so I went up to her ranch. It's called Arrowhead Ranch. And yeah, and it's in upstate New York. And um, basically it's a festival fairgrounds with a, with a horse rescue. So she has a nonprofit okay. to um, dedicate towards um, the horse rescue. And um, it's in Parksville, New York. And in the, you know, back in the day, um, Bill Graham and his son, were running this ranch. They they had a lot of bands up there like Fish and Blues Traveler. And so it, it shut down. I think it was in the mid 90s or maybe the early 2000s. And my friend bought it like a couple of years ago and she was going to like, she wants to like rebuild that scene. And so what she does is she has bands from Woodstock and bands from the Hudson Valley and bands from New York and Long Island, you know, come and kind of like rebuild this um, kind of like homegrown family vibe of people who love music and like great, uh, great blues rock. You know, she had a, a 50th anniversary Woodstock festival there as well that I was really, on that. yeah, that was really cool. And she's literally down the road from Bethel Woods, which is the original site of Woodstock. Jeez. <laughs> yeah. So I went, my husband and I went and it was like amazing healing for me because we were just out in nature. I mean, obviously COVID restrictions. So everybody was socially distanced. They had a mask mandate, you know, and um, yeah, so it was outdoor camping. So it was like within the mandate of COVID mm. and um, it was just beautiful weather, you know, for September in New York state, it's really gorgeous. It's right when, uh, you know, it's right when the leaves are turning. So that was the last show I was at. And um, 
yeah, it was, it was more than just a concert, you know, it's like being with a lifelong friend and her dream and her yeah. vision and like the family and the love. And, you know, because I'm so close with her and her partner, you know, it was like having that family there holding me. Other friends were up from New York. So they were kind of like holding space for me. Right. Yeah. On my dad's death. So it's powerful. It's uh, it's pretty great that it happened around the same time. You know, it's like the universe knew what you needed and made it all come together just Thank to help God. you get through it. Thank God. I believe that. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a great story. And then to be in such a historic place musically as well. I was, uh, I was reading up on some of the, some of the bands that played in Arrowhead and just the history of the place. It seems like just an unreal place to get to visit, especially if there is actually a music concert on while you're there. It's like a living a piece of history. Definitely. Yeah. Music just comes up from the earth there. Again, like Woodstock literally happened like a few miles away. And that whole area is just crawling with legendary musicians. Oh, I can imagine. I can imagine. If the if the hills could speak, huh? Indeed. <laughs> so if you uh if you had to pick a song to for this memory, which would it be? Well, you know, um, I mentioned that Blues Traveler used to play there and hang out there. John Poppy, the great harmonica player. And I love their music. Like when I was growing up, I just love their records. And I used to go see them every year on New Year's Eve at the Roseland Ballroom in New York City. Uh, and I was just a wee little thing. So, uh, you know, with a fake ID. Anyway. <laughs> so, you know, it, you know, it's really a, you know, it's kind of like a throwback hippie Grateful Dead vibe up there. And so the, the song that I was thinking about was Sweet Talking Hippie. But, oh, uh, pretty cool. It's a great song. I uh, I really like it myself. It uh, I love the vibe of it. It's got a lot of soul, a lot of funk, a lot of blues. It's all music that just moves my heart. So really. yeah, yeah, you can really feel it. So um, we'll move on to your worst concert experience now. All right. Worst concert ever. I mean, it got better, but waiting around for Axl Rose to come out during a Guns N' Roses show, definitely. I mean, I think he, I think he built up a reputation for just making people hate him. (laughs) 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 You know, like, you know, God bless him and everything. But I just, you know, I think I waited with my friends like two, maybe three hours for this show to start. Because Axel was like throwing a temper tantrum backstage. And so, um, you know, we were at Madison Square Garden in New Jersey, kind of had like nosebleed seats, you know, maybe like mid tier, yeah. like that. So, you know, we're kind of just squished into these little seats and there's nowhere to go. And we weren't 21, so we couldn't drink, you know, which always makes the time go by faster if you're at a show. You know, you just kind of, yeah. We were kids, you know, we were like, adolescent teenagers you know so like can really like, <laughs> bar or anything but uh i mean it was it was it got better that was when they toured with metallica and oh. metallica was great and then uh you know you know metallica was on tour with guns and roses and i think i don't i think faith no more was part of that tour too 
Oh man, that would have been amazing to see. Yeah. Them. Yeah. So but, uh, go on. I was just saying, but it was just that, that part with, with guns and roses were like, you know, great band, amazing players. Mm. But sometimes when the ego kind of gets in the way, it prevents you from really connecting with your audience. So it's a lesson for all. <laughs> yeah. yeah it seems like he uh purposely went out of his way to get that reputation you know it's uh i feel like i was supposed to go see guns and roses last year but obviously it was cancelled but even now even though he's older mature i was kind of thinking prepare for the worst you could be waiting it might be he might be even called off while you're standing there waiting for him to come on he's just i think he's a bit of a, a diva yeah, I think that's a good way of putting it. <laughs> but uh, a friend of mine actually seen them the last time they were in Ireland, and I think it was 2016 or 17. But they said that you'd want to go just for the, the to reminisce about the good days of Guns N' Roses. Don't have your uh, your expectations too high because he doesn't really sound as good as he used to back in the 80s and 90s. Yeah, well, you know, I guess that happens. Not every musician, you know, keeps up on their uh, their uh, vocal technique, you know. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I mean, I, I have a lot of respect for the artists that toured for like decades and decades and decades and just like always on the road and just always sounding amazing. I think part of it, too, is like you have to stay in it. Like if you take long breaks yeah like it's hard to get back to that original energy because i noticed yeah. even when i don't sing for a couple of days or a couple of weeks like my voice just is like oh snap i can't hit that note you know but oh, if really? i'm well i mean if you don't it's a muscle right so it's like if you don't work out for months you know and then you uh you start working out again you're gonna get sore you're gonna realize oh i can't lift that much weight you know you have to yeah you have to be consistent because the vocal cords it is a muscle. It's a muscle mm. and it needs to be kept. Um, you have to take care of it and you have to keep working it. So yeah, even sure. great guitar players say that if they miss a day and piano players, if they miss a day of practice or a few days of practice, yeah. like they don't have the, at the agility in their technique to. Yeah. I can understand that. Yeah. So um, you have to always keep at it, but um, back to uh, Axel Rose. He uh, he's really one of the rock stars that truly lived the rock star life. He was very wild and I feel it's not the best lifestyle to have to keep your vocal vocal cords in check or to have any sort of longevity when you're singing. So you can kind of understand, I think, why later in life he's not the same as he was when he was younger. Yeah, I think that definitely is a fair thing to say. And, you know, I think that nowadays I've, I've actually spent some time with older rockers through, right. uh, through uh, this, um, this camp I've worked with called Rock and Roll Fantasy Camp. Okay. Uh, I got invited to uh, participate in that as a, as a camper to fill in a slot. And I ended up um, meeting some epic legends and one of my favorite people who I got to work with is Tony Franklin who um right bass with the firm and 
Um, lots of great bands. I mean, there's a long list, but Tony's a total uh, advocate for wellness and right. care of yourself and even meditation and spirituality. He talks about how his rock and roll lifestyle was leading him down this path where people thought that he wouldn't live to, to see his, his, uh, you know, later years. So, you yeah. know, he's talked about, you know, he juices, Right. <laughs> he <takes> vitamins. Yeah. <laughs> and I do think that, you know, there's a big movement towards wellness in the last, in the last decade, it's become much more mainstream meditation and self-care and yoga. And even in the rock and roll world, yeah. I think you see a lot of musicians that are realizing like, oh, that kind of wild lifestyle is like, it's fun, but it doesn't necessarily add up to um, well-being. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's uh you're right though, the last ten years or so it really there's been more of a shift in taking care of yourself and living a healthier lifestyle as opposed to, you know, the opposite or as you said in the rock star life, just drinking and drugs and partying. It's uh they're more clean nowadays. So um which Guns N' Roses song would you sticks out in your memory when you think of that concert well um that was the year that um user illusion one and two came out so uh, right. november rain was the big hit on that one and i just remember the production on that just being so epic what was cool about that song is that it's very different from their other songs you know it was more orchestral yeah and, uh, yeah and I just remember the live performance of that just being so much more robust hmm. than kind of like like the gritty rock and roll tracks. So that's the one. It's a great song. It's one of their best. And it's uh it's nice to hear it hear them without all the fuzz and all the heavy, heavy rock, you know, it's like a breath of fresh air when you hear them sing that and there's obviously more heart in that than say a welcome to the jungle or not so much sweet child of mine, because there's a lot of passion in that song as well. Yeah, but great. November rain is definitely one that you can really tell they mean it, you know, and you can see the passion and they have for it when they're performing. It. Yeah. And I just think it's so interesting how they went from more symphonic vibe on that you know i think yeah. maybe they were trying to push themselves out of their typical kind of sound or you know out of the comfort zone yeah that's what made it cool i think yeah yeah like i'd say if you actually took say welcome to the jungle and november rain took the vocals out of it and just played the music to someone i don't think they'd be able to tell it's the same band you know you wouldn't expect it almost it might sound similar, but it's almost like two different styles. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, and, and definitely what those albums were, how many years apart? I mean, what I think Appetite came out in uh, the late 80s or something, maybe the mid 80s. Yeah. And then, yeah, I'd say it was around 86 or 87, was it? Yeah, so those albums came out probably five or six years apart, maybe, maybe more. I'm yeah. Not sure. There was a lot of growth in between. Yeah. So um, this brings us to your best concert. 
Best concert. Goodness. Who's the best concert? Oh, yeah. Jazz Fest. Right. Really Jazz Fest. Um, I'm sure you've heard of Jazz Fest happens every year in New Orleans. Yeah. And what's so cool about it is that it's not just jazz, but it's every, it's really every genre, you know, a lot of world music. What, what, yeah. What happened in my case is like I wasn't planning on being there. I was um, brought to New Orleans for actually I've been I've been busted for saying New Orleans. I was brought down <laughs> in New Orleans. I had to work on that. All the locals were like, nah, nah, try that again. Um, <laughs> I was brought down there for um, a benefit concert that I performed at um, with a bunch of wonderful local artists. Um, like Tab Benoit and um, Anders Osborne and uh, Chief Monk Boudreau. Um, there was a, a concert to raise money for people who were affected by the BP oil spill. Right. And, right. Um, I had released a song about the earth at that time. And um, my friend who's a promoter um, hooked me up with that show. And so I went down there first time I was ever there and I ended up meeting a bunch of people who encouraged me to stick around for Jazz Fest, which was happening the following week. And um, so I did. I stuck around and I ended up having the time of my life. I mean, there is music everywhere, pouring out of every venue. I mean, aside from the concert that happens on the main, you know, the main uh, festival where there's like, you know, a thousand different stages and you know, the fairgrounds and that's going two weekends, you know, all day. Then in the middle of the week, you've got concerts every night of legends and they're <laughs> happening in these smaller venues. And even the bigger venue that I saw Moody Blues at the, the big um, stadium. But um, you have all these just wonderful people coming from all over the world. Trombone Shorty obviously is local to New Orleans and the Nevilles mm. and um, Dr. John and, you know, that was before he passed away. And yeah, so it was just, it was legendary. I mean, it was just, I, I never experienced anything like it cause I'd never been to new Orleans and this was post Katrina. So it was definitely, you know, a new, a new era in new Orleans. And, um, I met so many great people, people I'm still friends with today. Um, I met great musicians and yeah, I just, I've been back to New Orleans several times since then. And I definitely feel on some level, like I could live there because <laughs> it feels so kind of natural as a music city to be a musician. Yeah. There. Yeah. It sounds, uh, sounds like a great experience and you're right though. I even, I've never been to America, but New Orleans always seems like a, a great center for music and culture from what I see in films and on TV and everything, you know, it's definitely, I have a bucket list of going to America, but I always say I'm going to need about six to eight months to visit all the places I want to see. And they're all funny enough, kind of centered around music. Well, I'm not surprised. I mean, <laughs> that's who you are. So, you know, you should definitely go to the places where music is like a huge part of the culture. Nashville, yeah, Austin, yeah. Memphis, LA, you know, they're, yeah. I think Seattle has been going through a lot of shifts. Mm. Um, 
but there's a lot of there's a lot of you know music scenes happening in different regions hopefully after things start opening up it'll there'll be a big renaissance of music yeah yeah i uh i keep saying to my friends i 2022 even i'd say it will be a massive year for music you know because so many artists have more time on their hands this year so i imagine there'll be an influx of albums and concerts and everything will be happening hopefully anyway because it's been it's been too long now without any live music or new albums stuff like that so you'd really miss it yeah yeah it's uh it's it's definitely painful this uh, yeah this lockdown situation um you know where i live in santa cruz there have been some outdoor concerts you know different restaurants because restaurants have been allowed to be open with outdoor seating um yeah you know they've had some you know smaller shows with local bands so I have gotten to see some like local, local stuff here and there. Um, yeah. But it's, it's definitely not the same when you have to sit in your seat and you can't move and you can't, you know, you can't take your mask off unless you're at your table and you can't socialize with people. So you're kind of like, it's kind of like I'm here sitting at the table watching a band. And this is, Fun but awkward, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I get you. Um, near the end of last year, actually, in Ireland, someone was floating around the idea of having a drive-in concert where you park in the field and stay in your stay in your car. But it'd want to be a massive field to get the amount of people that that need to be at it. But also, it just I don't think it'd be the same energy, the same atmosphere. It's it'd be almost just like sitting in your car listening to the music, you know. Yeah, I actually know some people who have done these uh, drive-ins, um, who either performed oh, really? or went to a drive-in, and yeah, you know they, exactly what you said. You know, it's kind of awkward. It's like, you know, the stage is a, is far away. You know, even if there's like teleprompters, you can't really see or not teleprompters, teleprompters, yeah. tele whatever's. Um, you know, it's you're kind of picking up the sound through your radio, but then if the frequency is not completely dialed in, it's kind of meh and then again you know like people go to shows and people like to drink and like the whole idea of drinking in your car is crazy <laughs> so, yeah it just uh seems wrong almost yeah you know yeah so it is what it is i i think that people have to come up with new ideas for um helping to bring back live music hopefully a lot of these venues will be able to weather the storm and and make it you know yeah stay alive like I, I actually got to go down to the cobblestone um in dublin oh really yeah when i was visiting and that place has been open for forever right so yeah, it has i really it hope really they has. get to you know i hope they make it through this yeah i hope so as well um i know there's lots of funding going to be coming out to keep the music industry going and places that are kind of historic within the music industry so hopefully it, it does happen you know yeah because uh music is a great part of our culture in in ireland and it'd be a pity if they just let it slip away i don't think it will it's too much of a part of the blood the lifeblood yeah. of of the irish people you know yeah yeah exactly exactly um so I was nearly forgetting to ask you, which song would you uh, 
dedicate to the memory of your best concert? Um, well, I had a really profound experience. I, I actually went to a, a Greg Allman show during right. Jazz Fest at, um, at the House of Blues. And afterwards, um, I got to uh, talk with him, uh, which was unexpected. I met him back. Right. And uh, we got to talk and which, you know, eventually led to me finding out that he had this tattoo of a queen of hearts on his arm. Okay. And um, when I saw it, I was like, Oh, that's crazy. Cause I had a, um, a business card that um, was designed from a dream that I had had right. years earlier where I saw myself in this dream and I was standing inside the queen of hearts card playing a guitar. Oh my goodness. So I told my friend who was graphic designer, who I was staying with at that time. I said, um, I had the craziest dream, man. I was, I was standing in the card, a queen of hearts playing the guitar and, <laughs> and it like flipped up and down and it was me on both sides. And she's like, Whoa, that's such a cool idea. Let's make you a, a business card out of that. Yeah. He designed it literally that same day. And so and I had it with me when I met him. And so I, I gave it to him. I was like, it's nice. great. Huh? So um, he just kind of looked at it and didn't say anything. It's <laughs> like, that's kind of weird. Like, why didn't he say anything? You know? So the crazy thing is, is that I went back to the apartment where I was staying and decided that I would do a little bit of a, you know, just kind of Google Greg Allman's mm. life a little more because you know I I knew his music, yeah, the Allman Brothers band, but I didn't really know his original stuff as deeply, mm. you know. Yeah, and the craziest thing happened where I was kind of just, you know, looking through Google just like life stories of Greg Allman, and then I I I didn't even click anything, you know, I didn't even hit the the link, but this link opened up right. out of nowhere. I didn't even see this link. It's just this article popped up and it was an interview where, you know, kind of in this like offbeat music blog where this guy was interviewing Greg Allman about the day that he decided to start his own solo project from the Allman brothers and go off and do a solo record. And it was all because of this song that he tried to get the band to play called the queen of hearts. That he had written. Oh. <laughs> and the band didn't like the song. Right. Yes. So he walked out and decided to make a solo record. And Queen the Heart was the song that made him go off on his own and do his solo career. So that's, I was like tripping out that that was the I article that popped up, you know? Yeah. And it's crazy. It was crazy. And that's also helped me understand why he just kind of looked at it and got like really quiet. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I'd love to know what was going through his mind when he seen it. I don't know, but it was definitely a, one of those meeting him was definitely one of those moments that like, you know, you have these moments in your life where you're like, that was meant to happen you know, for yeah. one reason or another. I even had a feeling before I walked into the venue that night that I was going to meet somebody 
I, I had this little, I get intuition sometimes. And this little voice said to me, you're going to meet a very important man tonight. It was just this feeling yeah. I had. I didn't yeah. know who it was. I was just like, okay, whatever. <laughs> yeah. Same thing happened yeah. though. When I met my husband, I had this little voice tell me, you know, you're going to meet. You're really? Gonna, yeah. Yeah. So I get these, I get these intuitions and that night, I think on some level it was meant to be. So very interesting. Yeah. I have no idea, you know, what it, what it meant to him. But to me, it was just like kind of a profound rock and roll moment. <laughs> yeah. Forget, so. yeah. It's, a, it's an odd one, but it is a, it's a great memory to have. And uh, what was he like? Was he kind of, I know he was probably in his older years, but was he still the, the cool rocker and, or was he more chilled out by then? He was very soft spoken you know, right. he was very respectful. Like I, I've, I've heard that, you know, you know, he's a massive ladies man, you know, like all these things, right. but like I experienced him as being like, just very kind, soft-spoken. Um, yeah. He talked to me about his family, actually. Oh. Tell me about his dog, you know, Mm. kind of crazy you know that i got to have like a real conversation with him you know not just uh i don't know i don't know why it happened that way but it did but yeah soft-spoken and i think he had also just had his liver surgery not too long before that so he was still recovering from that surgery and i think his energy levels were just like kind of subdued you know yeah yeah that's great since uh it's a very special memory to have, you know, that I'm sure I'll stick with you for the rest of your life. Yeah. It's, a, it's an awesome one. So uh, I take it it's going to be a, a Greg Allman song. Oh, yeah. Queen of Hearts. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> cool, cool. So um, that covers the concert section. We'll get slightly more personal now. So uh, if you had to, let's say, quarantine with an artist for 24 hours who would it be yeah so uh a lot of times people have said to me in my throughout my career like oh you remind me of Janis Joplin you know I can I can see that really yeah <laughs> so like you know I don't I don't scream like her but like in terms of just being raw and emotional and kind of laying it all out there like I definitely have that inclination you know, to just kind of put it all out there in my songs and wear my heart on my sleeve. And so, you know, I, I think that she and I also had a very similar upbringing, you know, she, she got bullied a lot. Mm. And I think that she, um, I think that she suffered a lot um, from that, from not being Mm. very uh, quote unquote popular in her hometown or whatever. And, uh, you know, I, I think that she and I could talk about some heavy shit (laughs) (laughs) and I, and we could commiserate and we'd end up being like soul sisters. So yeah, definitely Janis Joplin. (laughs) (laughs) It'd be a a great 24 hours. Would you, uh, would you ask her to write a song with you or something you'd have to write? You know what? I didn't even think of that to write a song with Janis Joplin, holy smokes. Uh, yeah, I mean, 24 hours if we didn't sleep. 
Yeah. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, oh my God, to sing with her or play something with her. Yeah, that would be epic. It really would. I think if it was me and it was a rock star like that, I think I'd have to, the next day I'd be like, right, that's it. I'm packing up. It just it, nothing can top that. I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if Janice Melvin came down from on high and we got to hang out for an hour, uh, for a day. Yeah, I think um, I'd be like, that's it. I'm done. You know? Yeah. <laughs> you probably have a lot of life lessons to share, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure she would. I'm sure she would. But um, I'll, I'll phrase the question in a different way then. If you could uh, perform one of her songs with her, which would it be? Wow. You know, one of my favorite songs by her is Cry Baby. But um, I've been covering me and Bobby McGee since I was 16. Right. And, uh, you know, she didn't write it, but she made it her own. And yeah. uh, she... Uh, yeah, I don't know. She just kind of went wild on it. Um, that's a great one. I mean, it's kind of overplayed, <laughs> but mm. it's it's just one of those songs that like it's in the fabric of human consciousness. Whatever you think about Janis Joplin, yeah. um, I love the song "Get It While You Can." You know, mm. I do think that that was like a very kind of '60s '70s era mentality of like free love and you know just kind of like love the one you're with kind of vibe you know yeah i don't yeah, i don't definitely. necessarily agree with that mentality but i <laughs> do well you know because life it's just it's it's that that whole free love vibe you know a lot of people uh it, it, it it's a whole other conversation but mm. i just think that um that's such a great song you know, but she says you got to hold someone like it's the last minute of your life. You know, you got to yeah. hold on like it's the last minute of your life. Um, I'm I'm married now, and uh, that's how I feel when I'm with my husband. I want to hold on to him like it's the last minute of of our lives. You know, so I, yeah. I definitely feel that passion and understand like what it means to love someone that much. You know. Yeah, and it's it's great if you get to experience that in your life. And you have someone that means that much to you. And it's probably the best advice you could actually have is to every day hold them like it's the last minute of your life. You know? Yeah. I wasn't expecting on sharing something like that, but, you know, you say you're gonna, we're going to get personal. I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but- <laughs> you never know what's going to come up next <laughs> or well, what's going exactly. to come out in I mean, conversations. You- heard so many stories like especially in this last year too like uh people who just like out of nowhere just up and died from covid like even yeah young people with no prior you know health issues yeah i've heard so many stories like that it's shocking you know people in their 30s and their 40s and yeah they could be fit and healthy and all of a sudden they get it and it's just downhill then yeah it's uh it's very tragic. Even now, I know it's around for a year. I think it's almost exactly a year, just a little bit over it. But every morning I wake up for a second, I'll forget about it. And then it sets in and it's like 
this can't be happening in this day and age. You know, we surely have technology that can beat this or it's like living in a movie almost. Yeah, scary movie for sure. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. But um, so we'll we'll move on to the next question. So if you could see any performer who's living or dead in concert, who would it be? So I've always loved Jimi Hendrix. I mean, right, there's something right. about him that is just so, so sexy. And he's just a wild man, but like so much soul. And I mean, obviously he's a great dresser. <laughs> mm. <laughs> but I, mean, I can only imagine that like to see him perform live would just be like the experience of a lifetime. And, you know, definitely Jimi Hendrix. It has to be. It has to be. One of the all-time greats. Yeah. But could you imagine how many people, if you could actually figure out the, the numbers of this, imagine how many people he's after inspiring to just pick up a guitar. Definitely. You know, Millions. Every, everybody on the planet, I'd say, has heard of, of Jimi Hendrix. Yeah, and you know what's so funny, you know, is that in the United States, like nobody took any interest in him until he went to the UK. Yeah. Yeah. You know? And I think it's, it's symbolic, well, not symbolic, but it's still like that today. I think the United States has such these like, uh, just kind of this like different, different attitude when it comes to music. We're in the UK and I think in Europe and Ireland, there's more of this like desire for something different and something new and something completely, um, Heart, heartfelt you know I think here there's more yeah. of this generic you know like machine of like let's just spit out the same sound over and over and over again and we'll yeah very commercial very commercial and and also um you know it's like let's just kind of follow what has already worked mm. and stay safe and you know but then again yeah you, you get these these outliers that somehow get through and then they change the face of music forever you know yeah yeah and he's definitely one of those people oh without a doubt i uh i often think i'd love to see where he would have went if he hadn't have passed away so young you know what would he have been like nowadays you know obviously he'd be very old but it would have been just great to see, have seen what he would have achieved absolutely i mean i think it would be profound if you were alive right now to see how he would respond to the black lives matter movement yeah actually I never that thought about would be that very interesting now. yeah yeah but um, all about love and peace you know even he has all these great quotes yeah yeah that'd yeah. be uh i'm sure he wouldn't disagree with the violent side of it but i'm sure he'd uh he'd have something interesting to say about it yeah so uh which Jimi hendrix song really speaks to you so you know it's uh it's i really love that song you know let me stand next to your fire, fire. Mm. let me stand next to your fire that line where he goes move over rover and let <laughs> over. I, that just always stands out in my head it's just really funny it's just yeah it's just got a lot of grit and soul and the and the, that driving ding, ding, ding. Mm. it just sticks out it's it's great. it really does yeah. it's one of his best but then it's hard to just 
pick one or two that's his bestest. You know, it's uh, it depends on the mood. No matter what Jimi Hendrix song you turn on, you're going to enjoy it. You know, it's going to speak to you in, in a different way, but you will enjoy it. Yeah, he was definitely channeling some high vibes, you know. Yeah. I think he was a shaman in some ways, you know. Without a doubt, without a doubt. So if uh, you had to pick a song that isn't one of your own to appear on the soundtrack to your life, which would it be? That's a great question. And, um, you know, one of the songs that I, I've covered throughout my career is a, a song by the Indigo Girls called Love's Recovery. Right. And it's a beautiful melody. And the guitar, it's acoustic guitar. Um, I think it's the whole song is just acoustic guitar and, and vocals. And um, it's such a beautiful song because it talks about um, somebody searching for love and having... Mm. Um, you know, kind of wishing and hoping to find that true love, you know, while also having like insecurities and then, and then finding someone and then it not being good enough. And then, you know, being on that road and trying to find that love, you know, and that was something that I definitely could relate to as a, as a, as a young woman, like just trying to find like my, my partner, who is my soul. I I was like, you know, that, you know, that story that's, that fairy tale about like the, the duckling, the ugly duckling that gets like separated from his mother. And then he goes and he finds all yeah. these like animals and he's like, are you my mother? You know, yeah. <laughs> just trying to find that place, like <laughs> where you fit in and like, or, or like just that finding that home, where's my home, mm. you know? Yeah. So I think I was always trying to find that person that just felt like home because mm. I felt like that person is out there for me. And I had, I had a really rough childhood and, you know, I was just thinking about this the other day. It's like the, the things that got me through my childhood were these feelings that like one day I would be grown up. Right. Be happy, right. And I would meet like the person who I'm meant to be with and I'd be happy. Hmm. It was like, I had that feeling, you know, and it's what helped me get through some really, really painful times. And so I think that, you know, as a young adult, kind of like going through different relationships, you know, it was kind of like, are you my soulmate? You know, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it wasn't until, you know, I met him that I, it, and it was actually right when I'd given up on this idea. And I thought I was, maybe I was like, the whole thing was in my head and I was like imagining it. And right. It's a big lie and all that true love stuff. There's a bunch of BS. Uh, and I literally decided, I was like, this is what am I doing my whole life? I'm just searching for this lie, like this fairy tale romantic lie, you know? Yeah. And I just decided I was done with that whole story. And then um, he showed up like a couple of days later, <laughs> literally a couple of days later. Isn't that, isn't that all the, always the way though? It's like when you stop looking for something, you'll find it. You know, it just comes along as soon as you stop looking for it. You know, people would say that to me, right? And I'd be like, yeah, 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 whatever, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but it was like, I had to be ready to let it go. It was like, I had to be done with the whole, you know, the whole story yeah. and be like, what am I doing? This is insane. And then yeah. he just showed up. So, you know, we're very, 
We're very, um, we're very um, well matched. We're a very well matched couple right. and we're right. very happy, thank God. You know, we, we work hard on our relationship and it does require a lot of uh, attention, but it's worth it, you know? And so song, Love's Recovery, you know, it's just, I think it really just speaks to that whole, that journey. Yeah, a lifelong searcher who finally found what she was looking for. Yeah, and it's a really gorgeous song. And mm. Indigo Girls is just a great band, and their music is so deep. Yeah, a lot of their yeah. music is deep. Some of it is very poppy and more, uh, you know, just more kind of mainstream their later mm. stuff but i i think that some of their earlier stuff is just so rich with like spiritual symbolism and you know deep insight and that's the stuff that really hit my soul so um what's next on the on the cards for elisa after the pandemic of course well um i'm getting ready to um start doing a deeper dive into um learning how to produce my own music Right. Um, in the past, I've worked with really great producers and I, I plan to continue those, you know, those projects and relationships because um, they help me grow definitely as a better artist. And um, but I'm I'm really keen on learning how to produce my own stuff because I I play a lot of different instruments. Right. And lockdown has given me an opportunity to, like, explore that more. You know, like mm. I've I've. Um, been playing more bass and even this year I started playing electric guitar where I've had an electric guitar for years and I never really got into it so so working more on on learning how to record myself multi-track myself playing uh, Mm. piano guitar bass vocals vocal harmonies and then also um, how to play the drums Um, I have played around on the kit quite right. a bit, but I've never had my own drum kit. So, you know, obviously it takes practice to become good. And um, so I'm going to be getting a drum kit sometime in the next few months. <laughs> and uh, yeah, hopefully spitting out some self-produced tracks that I'm playing all the instruments on just really as an experiment, you know, like, can I do mm. this? And uh, I know I can. So it's all about just doing it. That sounds pretty great. It, uh, I can't wait to see what you come out with. Mm-hmm. Actually, you reminded me of um, the likes of Paul McCartney. You know, he us- he usually plays all his, all the instruments on his tracks. That's like, I, I mean, I, I've never heard that. I remind anyone of Paul McCartney, but I take it. <laughs> <laughs> and I can <completely> inspire. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's, uh, it's really, um, it's really, a, a, I, I would have to say it's a huge blessing to be able to play instruments and to have a natural kind of a, a, um, ability to like hear something and then be able to put it to tone, tonality. Yeah. And, you know, obviously there's a lot of practice that goes into it. And sometimes you can hear something, but you can't actually translate it through. Yeah, yeah. It's even hard to describe it. So you can kind of sing it. Like when I was recording with my band or playing with my band, uh, I try to say like, okay, I need you to play the drum beat like this. 
you know, mm. and I'd have to like beatbox it or be like, <laughs> you know, or I tell the guitar player, you know, like this, you know, it's like it's all language, you know. Yeah, yeah. To translate it into physical, you know, playing and the sound is, it does take, you know, a lot of practice. So. Oh, it does. It does. But I'm sure, I'm sure you'll make it happen. Thanks. Um. So, um, the song that's going to close out the interview tonight. Would you like to tell us a bit about it? Sure. Um, so this week is actually the anniversary of um, the one year anniversary of the release of my record, Natural State. Yeah. And that was a project that um, was actually a very, um, a very involved process with like a few different producers and different musicians over a period of several years. And um, I dropped the record on the eve of COVID. <laughs> like the craziest timing ever so um yeah definitely in retrospect that was a you know a challenge but mm. celebrating this one year anniversary is actually um it's 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 uh bringing back some good feelings about it because i feel like you know i could kind of share it and just let it go and just like just trust that the new music yeah. that comes through me is um it's going to be on a different on a different level of, um, of nuance and, and depth, but the song natural state that you're about to play is the title track of that record. And, um, and it's a song about, uh, really just kind of waking up from these self-limiting beliefs or, you know, sometimes we have these, um, perspectives on the world that may prevent us from seeing, um, the world as it is, as it really is, you know, and yeah, yeah. from some of the stories I've shared, you know, I think, you know, I, from my experience, like, I think that the world is really, there's a lot of magic and there's a lot of mystery and there's a lot of beauty and benevolence. There's also a lot of crazy, crazy things, <laughs> pain and difficult things. Yeah. But I think that a lot of that is created by people and, mm you know, obviously there are natural disasters and there are things that are beyond our control, but um, I think a lot of the pain and the violence and the suffering in the world comes from people and that the universe in and of itself is a kind, loving and benevolent place. You know, I have a very deep um, faith um, mm. and that faith has got, got me through some very difficult times um, because I've seen the results of my faith playing out in blessings and what I would call, yeah. you know, miracles, some, some big and some small. So, you know, but even the small miracles are huge because they're coming from that, that, um, that essence of the magic and the beauty of the world. So that's what the song is about. It's about, you know, kind of getting out of your own way, waking up and realizing that, you know, we are kind of living in, uh, what I what I refer to in the song is a state of grace, a natural state of grace. Yeah, yeah. So great, great. I can't wait for my listeners to hear it. So um that brings the interview to a to an end, I'm afraid. It's genuinely been one that I have been looking forward to and I really, really enjoyed it. So thanks a million for coming on the show. It's total pleasure. I'm 
so happy to be here and thank you for having me and for asking such cool questions. <laughs> no problem. I'm glad you enjoyed it. So um, all the best for the future. Thank you. You too. And maybe I'll see you in Ireland one day.
Well, I hope you enjoyed that episode as much as I did. I really enjoyed chatting with Elisa. Before I go, I just wanted to give you a couple of updates. So we've joined the website Buy Me A Coffee and we've launched the official concerts that made us store. So head over there and check out some of the cool merchandise on offer. The links to both are down in the show notes for this episode. And also, I just want to let you know that next week's guest will be The Way Podcast. So until then, keep rocking. What are you guys still doing here? The show is over. It's over. You can go home. Go on. We'll see you next time. We'll be here. Bye.